So we finished up Jonah, and now we're going to cover the two letters for the, to the Thessalonians, which is right after the Colossians. So New Testament, uh, four or five books in, well, several books in. Um, there we go. And there's eight chapters in the, between the two books. Uh, so we have eight weeks before Christmas, before December starts. So it works out pretty good. Then we work into Advent. We talk all about the coming of Christ, you know, his incarnation, right? So that's, that's what we're working towards. Um, and so this letter, you know, we talked about Jonah and he was kind of the what not to do. He, he was the anti-example, right, in a sense. Uh, but he is human and we know, right, we identify easier with Jonah than with Paul because Paul is kind of the, the ultimate example in a sense of how to be a Christian, how to be a Christ follower, right? And so the Thessalonian church kind of took his example and ran with it. You know, and they were, they were and we're going to get into it, but they were one of the first churches that Paul founded. And they just took it to the nth degree and said, we definitely understand and we want to be this thing, right? But, but the question is for us really is, is what makes a good example, right? When you think of a good example of something, you know, what, what is that? Is it someone that you want to be like? Right? Is it someone that possesses traits that you wish you had? You know, like, like that guy, he, you know, this person, he has a good work ethic. Uh, so he made his millions doing whatever legally. And, and I would like to do that, right? So it's kind of you maybe use his example to match your life with that, right? Because that's something you want to do or you want to, you know, be a good leader or whatever it is. You looked for examples, and we, you know, as we talked yesterday about leadership, right? And so you find examples of good leaders, so you know, you can kind of see if I, am I being a good leader or not, you know, based on whatever you think is a good leader, um, right? Or maybe sometimes it's a physical thing, like if you're in a store, you say, oh, I like that table, right? I'm, I'm gonna take pictures of it and I can find the plans and I can make it, right? Instead of buying it, I don't wanna buy it, it's too expensive, but I can make the same thing for 20 bucks, right? So we use these, we constantly use these things, right? Because it probably, you know, we have the other examples, maybe when we're raising our kids and we say, do you want to turn out like so-and-so? You know, and it's probably not a good thing, right? Do you want to turn out like so-and-so? Do you want to be, you know, poor and destitute living under the overpass kind of thing? Um, but we do that. We say we try to scare our kids sometimes and scare other people into the same thing. It's just what it is um, because we see that and we can show them this is, this is one thing, this is another thing, right? So Paul is encouraging the, the church at Thessalonica to, to keep on going that they took his example of what he was doing and what he preached. And like I said, they took it to the nth degree kind of. And so it's a letter to us here in the present day to see how to act as a church, right? As we're building our church, right? We need to be built on something. We're built on the foundation of Christ. We want to make sure that is the example. We're going to talk about that, but you know, he is the example to be, to be looked towards. And that's first and foremost, but how we do things and what a church looks like and what people know us for, right? That's why the title of the whole series is so that you can become an example. You became an example, right? That's from verse seven in uh, the first chapter right there. Right? Because we, my goal and my prayer is that God makes us, uses us like the church of Thessalonica to be an example to everybody else here in this area. Tanglewood, Santa Maria, you know, our, our general area, Santa Barbara County, whatever. Um, 
And it's not out of pride, I hope, and I have to very much keep that in check. I want to make sure we're, we're good on that, right? We want to do this because we have the love of Christ. That, that people know us by who we are and what we do and what we show. And we show the love of Christ here uh, because we have great programs. And programs are a thing that we need to have at some point, but it's not the most important thing. Right? So as we build this church, that's really what I want to do because we're moving away from everything else. Right? New building, new stuff, new name, everything the last couple of years. So we're moving into the next phase. So when you start thinking, you know, we kind of, it's kind of funny that we talked about the logo and things like that, but that's, you know, that's an example. It's part of who we are. So it'll be what we, what we are, who we represent, or what we represent. So they can know that, say, oh, I, I go to that church. Right? I belong to that church. Right? So we're going to look at this. I'm going to read the, I'll read all 10 verses just because it's, it's just the first 10 verses of, the, of, the, of, the, of chapter 1. Um, and then we will get into the actual outline. So Paul says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for, the, for your benefit. And you yourselves became imitators of us in the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Right, and so the main point of this this chapter is that the Thessalonian church was known as, as an example of God's power. So, the main point of that. Where's he at? Can you see me? Slide. Thank you. Right, and so we have three things on our outline. We have three points. So, the first one is that examples are meant to be remembered, examples are meant to be replicated. And examples are show that you have been rescued. I didn't, I guess I did some subconscious alliteration. Um, so I usually, I try not to, but it just happens sometimes. Um, but the first one is that examples are meant to be remembered, right? So verses one through three. So again, this is, we're getting back into the letters, right? So this is correspondence between Paul and, you know, his team here, Sylvanus and Timothy. And so he's writing letters to everybody. Um, and so there's a standard format, just like we learn in school, you know, dear Dear so-and-so, dear mother and father, here I am at Camp Hiawatha, right? Um, so it's the same thing. They had a standard deal how to write a letter. So he's saying this is, this is who it's from. It's from Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy. And it's to the church at Thessalonians. And he's saying grace and peace to you. Right? It's kind of the standard opening. You can read almost every letter. And it's all, it's all the same standard, standard format. Um, and so most of the letters to the churches that we have are letters to churches that Paul founded, 
right? So he had a very personal connection to these churches. He was a church planner. He went around. If you, you, most of our Bibles have the map in the back um, that have the arrows and, and show you know, Paul's three missionary journeys, and you can see it. Um, you can follow it along. I didn't want to put one up here because it's kind of hard to see on the screens up here. Um, but we see that. So with the exception of Rome, to be sure, you know, Paul didn't found the church at Rome. But all the other ones he had a hand in founding or planting. And so these churches are his children in a sense, right? So these, these are like his kids. You know, he, didn't, he wasn't married, he didn't have any kids. So these churches ultimately kind of become like his kids a little bit. And so he's very connected. And so the church at Thessalonica was possibly one of the very first churches he founded. And so this letter may be the earliest letter that we have from Paul. And so we're talking, you know, somewhere around 50 AD, when this, when this letter was written. So the church was maybe founded a year or two before that. So, you know, somewhere around 20 years or a little less than 20 years after Christ's death, Paul is establishing these churches in the regions. Right? He's going around. The gospel is making its way around. Right? And, of course, it's completely plausible that Paul wrote a lot, a lot more letters to a lot more churches. Right? It's, he was a writing machine, and he had a lot of time in prison. Uh, not all of them survived. Some of the letters we have may be kind of a mixture of a, a couple letters, like they think 2 Corinthians, for instance, is maybe several letters uh, kind of rolled into one um, just to kind of make it easier. But we know that he wrote all these letters, right? So, because one of the criteria, though, for being considered to be placed in the New Testament when they were, they were compiling the books was that it had to be widely used, right? So this letter to the Thessalonica church was widely used by not just the Thessalonians, but also other churches, right? It gets copied, passed around, so everybody else can read it again. Paul wanted to make sure that people were following a good model. And so the church of Thessalonica is something that's a church example to be had. Right. And he's again, he's using the standard Greek letter writing and said, here's here's who's writing it. And here's who we're writing it to. But then in verse two, he goes into the Thanksgiving. Right. Again, Paul kind of follows this format of, of saying who we are. And he's, he gives thanks to these churches and thanks for the churches and for the people at the church, right? He says, we always thank God for all of you, making mention constantly of you constantly in our prayers, right? He's, he rec we recall, right? We remember you guys. Right? We remember who you are. We remember we're praying for you. How much better do you feel or how much does it really touch you if people say they're praying for you and they, you know they really mean it? Not just like, I'll be praying for you, but like, hey, I'm praying for you. It's extremely important, extremely uplifting to say, wow, somebody's taking the time out of their day to remember me. And I met you for maybe two minutes. You know, I don't know you that well. Maybe you're, maybe you're best friends, but at the same time, somebody's taking the time out of their day to remember me and to pray to God for me. Right? That's extremely uplifting. That's what we can do, right? That's, that's how much of, a, of an input we have or the Thessalonican church had on, on Paul. And we don't have to turn there, but if you guys mark it down, so Acts 17 is where we see the, the, the Paul in Thessalonia, or Thessalonica. And it says that he was there for about three weeks because Luke says he preached in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. So, you know, three Saturdays he's preaching. Um, he's reasoning with the Jews from Scripture. He's explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead, right? So Paul is walking in, this is normal MO, walking into the synagogues, talking about Jesus. The guy that they had just crucified on the cross not too long ago, that I'm sure everybody knew who Jesus was. 
said, watch out for this guy. They maybe had his picture on the wall. I don't know if somebody comes in talking about this guy, throw them out. Right? But they let Paul stay. They let him talk about things because he had a different access level because he was, he was a Pharisee. You know, he was in there. He was, he was able. He was one of them in a sense. And Luke says some of them, so some of the audience in the, in, the sab, in, the, in the synagogue were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a, a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. So here is Paul talking, preaching for three weeks, and he's gathering this group of people. Right? That's his core group of people for the church. You know, and it's God, the God-fearing Greeks, so the people who were Greek, so they weren't born Jewish, but they were going to become members of the Jewish faith at some point, or at least they are following the tenets, right? <clears throat> and then also a number of the leading women. So the women who were probably a little well off, a little bit richer, they were also here listening and hanging out and, and hearing what Paul was saying. And so we see the women, the importance of women in the roles of the church throughout the New Testament. So, you know, people want to say certain things about how the church is not women-friendly, I guess, in a sense. Well, the a lot of it wouldn't be here without a lot of women. So you want to make that point clear, right? So, um, and here's what happens next, right? It says, in Acts 17, it says, then the, but then the Jews of the city became jealous, and they formed a mob and started a riot. I kind of wish one day, I hope, in a, in a weird way, that I could preach the word of God and have a start a riot. Because then you know you're doing something right, I think, honestly. Right? It, and it's not a pride thing, but it's, it's interesting. We see the reaction of people to Paul when they started a riot. And so the riot leads out through the streets. They drag some of the brothers, is what Luke says, so some of the new Christians. They drag them down through the street to go before the city officials. So they take them down to city hall, essentially. Right? And listen to this. This is the charge that is brought against Paul and his friends. It's recorded in 17, Acts 17, verses 6 and 7. And, and I love this. This is like one of my favorite verses in the whole, whole Bible because it's, it tells what we should be doing. They say, these men, so they're pointing at Paul and his friends, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Right? These men who have come here, they're already going around turning the world upside down, flipping things over, making things not, breaking the status quo essentially. They've come here, too, to do the same thing. And they're already doing it. And Jason woke them, like, and this guy, he let him into their house. He let him stay here. So he's just as guilty as they are for doing this, causing these problems. And so that's why we started to riot. That's what our church should be doing. We should be turning the world upside down. Because that's what Christ did. Christ turned everything upside down. One man died for the sins of the world. To make it whole again. It doesn't make any earthly sense. No sense whatsoever why that works. But it works. Because God said this is the way it works. And people have a hard time seeing it. And we have a harder time in a sense. Because this is essentially our country has been based and built on Christian principles at the very least. And so now we are all kind of used to being happy and graceful and loving and everything else. So it's a little bit harder to flip the world upside down because people kind of expect certain things. But they don't, what they don't expect, what they don't understand, what they don't really get into is the fact that our motivation is different. It's not just about being a nice person. It's about being a nice person because I have the love of God because I've been saved. I was dead once. I was, I was lost. I was not saved. I was on the other side. 
And now, for whatever reason, other than God, you'll know the reason that God's good grace, I've been saved and I've been moved over. And that's what turns everything upside down. And that's what I want our church to do. I want church to people to say, yes, this is completely different than what I've experienced. And we're talking about the Baptist. We have that Baptist name and people have an automatic idea of what that means. And say, no, it's this. We do this. We do it this way. And we're not breaking the rules, if you want to call it that, but it's, it's different than what people think because they have an idea. It's not necessarily right. It's to help them. Right, so, but after this riot in Acts 17, you know, I'm sure they're sitting around Jason's house and saying, we, we should probably get out of here. Right, so Paul and Silas leave at night. They make it out and they go to Berea. Um, but all that stuff happens when you're teaching for only three weeks, roughly. You know, they, they may have been there a little longer, but, you know, we, we have a record of them being there for three weeks in the city. All of a sudden, you cause a riot and you have to sneak out of the city so you don't get killed or arrested or anything else. That's something that will cause you to remember the, the church and their love and everything else, right? So Paul has this burned in his brain pretty much. But then Paul goes on in verse 3 and gives them some reasons why he remembers this church because it wasn't just a riot. That was not really a big deal, if to him at least. It says that we recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Right, Those three things are what stick in his brain about how the church went because my guess is he was teaching the synagogue and then once people said I'm a, I want to become a Christian or I want to know more they probably had uh, my guess is at least Bible studies because usually Paul's MO was kind of set up churches in their houses right? because they didn't have a church to go to they could only use a synagogue so much so they were going to different people's houses throughout the week and teaching so they were wanting to learn more so he sees this this work that's produced, produced by their faith, this labor, the work they were doing, whatever it was, it was motivated by their love and, and their endurance that they had because they had this hope in Jesus Christ all of a sudden, right? That's what turned the world upside down. They had hope in something other than a person, just a human being, like a regular human being, you or I. And so that sticks with them, right? Because in our lives, we have these situations that we remember with crystal clarity. Might be the time, the first time you saw your wife or husband, right? You know, uh, we were here, there, this happened. You know, it's crystal clear, right? September 11th, we could probably all know exactly, tell you exactly where we were at. You know, if, if you're alive when, when Kennedy was shot, most people can probably say, yep, I was doing this or watching TV or whatever it was, right? There's certain items or events in our lives that we know automatically we can recall it like that. And so those days or events are burned in our brain. But the question I have for us is, what do you want to be remembered for? And what do we as a church want to be remembered for? Right? Do we want to be remembered as the church who had to, had to fight, had to claw back to the way we did it, we got back, and then we die again? Or do we want to say that we came back from the dead because God's power brought this church back? Right? That's what we have a question for. And if people come and say, this is what I remember even around here, I've talked to people around here. They said, oh, I got baptized in that church. I got married in this church. So this church was a part of this neighborhood at one point. Does it need to be the same way? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But we need to have that same thing because people do have that memory. Right? Because I want to be, I want our church to be remembered the same things that Paul lists for, for the Thessalonians. Their, their faith, their labor of love, they're motivated by love and their hope. 
right? Faith, hope, and love. It's right there. And so the application of this is that we can continually remember that our example is in Christ, right? He is our example. It's not the latest fad of how to grow a church. It's not the latest thing of how to do this and reach out to people and evangelize or do whatever or how to have the, awesome, the best VBS. Um, because if we're not motivated by, the, by showing the people Christ, then it doesn't really matter. We're just getting numbers. And unfortunately, people count numerical growth as church growth. And to a point, yes, but to a larger point, no. Right? And we should be remembered also in our complete de dependence on Christ. Right? That's what Paul did. Paul had a complete dependence on Christ. And that's what he passed on to the Thessalonians. He passed on to every other church he went to. He could do nothing through Christ, except through Christ. So Paul understands that the visible Christian deeds and perseverance in spite of difficulty give witness to a genuine and enduring faith, right? It's how you respond in crisis that your true nature comes out. And it's easy to be a Christian when that's kind of the flavor of the day. It's easy to be a Christian when everything's going your way. It's easy to be a Christian when it's smooth sailing, but it's harder to really be a Christian, I think, to have that perseverance when things go bad, right? We could have all thrown in the towel, right, a few, a few, a few years ago and just went to different churches. But God said don't. Um, because if we look at ourselves as examples, right, we're people, we're fallible, we make mistakes. So sometimes we become the Jonah, like don't do what I did. You know, especially if we're raising kids. Like, yep, I did this, and don't do that because it was a bad idea. All right, so it's better to look at Jesus, right? Even if we look at Paul and Peter, Peter had his faults. You know, Paul, Paul's the more perfect of the one, but he so has his faults as well. We could easily say, well, I just want to be like Paul. No, we need to be like Jesus. He encourages them to be like Jesus. We look towards him. Right, and so... God is building his nation with Israel. His commandments were different than those that what the people believed in the ancient Near East, right? The Ten Commandments is a whole different set of rules than, other, than what other people were operating on. No matter what people want to say, oh, well, society, these rules apply to everybody. They apply to everybody because they've been pushed out to everybody now. So everybody's heard them at some level for thousands of years now, right? Because it turned everything on their head. That's why, they, that's why the Israelites were different than the other, other people groups in, in, the, in that region. And the same thing with us at the church, right? We see this in Acts. We see it in other churches. Somehow there was something different about these people, the new Christians. There's something different about them. And the thing, the difference is really that God has saved his people through the second person of the Trinity, right? Who was, who was being offered as a sacrifice, was made a propitiation for our sins, right? He fixed us, in a sense. He justifies us. So Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says, This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. And so that's the difference of what it is you believe. It doesn't make sense because everybody else says, I have to earn it. I have to work. I have to keep working. And your works should be driven by your faith, not the other way around. 
that your, your works should be good fruits and indication of that your faith that you believe. And we're able to endure these things, right? We're able to endure the, hard, endure the hard work because we have hope in the Lord. We have hope that what Jesus did on the cross actually works. And so this message of salvation is not just for one group in the first century. It is for the all time until the Lord returns, which is what something Paul gets into later. It's one of the main themes of the letter is the eschatology of you know, Jesus coming back, him, him returning. Right? But this example of endurance is meant to be replicated until we are no longer on this earth. Right? So we move into verses 4 through 8. So how many of you like puzzles? Some of you guys, everybody else has probably done a puzzle at least once or twice, right? So when you buy the puzzle, do you look at the box cover once and then just start putting it together? It's like, you just, I don't need that. You just chuck it in the corner and go, I'll just figure it out myself. Right? Or do you have that box? I, I like to do it. I put the box right there. And I look for the leaf or whatever it is. I usually start at the corners. Um, <clears throat> because that would be pretty cool, right? If they just gave you a blank box. Like, here's the box. Here's all your puzzle pieces. You don't even know what it is. Just put it together. And it's, oh, it's 2,000 pieces. How hard would that be? How mean would that be if the puzzle company started doing that, right? Because all you have is a bunch of fuzzy kitten fur. And you don't know where it goes. you got to stick them together like, well, I think this is his eyeball. It looks like it might go here. You know, they give you that. They give you the picture on the box. They give you the pieces so you can replicate the picture. Right? And some people make it use as artwork, as artwork. Right? And this is the same thing going on. Right? Paul says you were chosen by God and you became imitators of us. Right? So he's going around making, and he's not making clones necessarily of himself, but he's making sure he understands this is what... This is what really has to happen for this church. Right? It says God chose the church at Thessalonica to be there to fulfill his purposes. Right? We're not talking about predestination or things like that necessarily. But he's saying, look, I'm putting a church in Thessalonica because it's, important. it's an important city. Other people are going to come through here, go out of here, and they're going to take this message. And that's why you see if you look at all the churches that, are, that Paul founds, a lot of them are on kind of major highways or hubs or postal roads. Like even when we, did, when we did the seven letters for, for Revelation, all those churches are on the Rome postal road for that region. So the mail can get through, so the message can get through. Right? Paul and his companions were the picture on the box that needed to be put together. Right? Thessalonica was the, was the puzzle pieces themselves. And so they were building it, sticking together so we could look like Paul, who ultimately looks like Jesus. Right? But it's not just words that, that God used, but also God showed them the gospel in the power and the Holy Spirit with full assurance, right? So this word used for power in the Greek is used to describe or used to, to explain or for the gospels of Jesus' miracles. When it talks about God's power, Jesus' power, it's talking about the miracles that he does. It's his power that he's able to do this thing with, right? It was God's power, not Paul's, that was demonstrated through the Thessalonians, Paul didn't just come in and do these things, but Jesus was, or God was doing the miracles either through Paul or through some other means to get people to believe. Right? And, and then we have the Holy Spirit, right? He's convicting the people. Paul is not just convincing people to follow him, right? During his speeches, because he, somewhere else in one of the letters, I believe he says that he's not a great speaker. You're kind of a little bit like Moses. I stutter, I do some other things. I'm not. I'm not the eloquent speaker you probably you're used to. Like in the Greek world, that was kind of your um, some social credit. 
you're a good speaker, a good orator, you could do a lot of things. You're a good storyteller or whatever. Um, but Paul's like, hey, I'm not. I'm terrible. But it was the words he was saying, the power with which he was saying it, because the Holy Spirit was coming through him. The Holy Spirit was going through and convicting the people with this message to turn, up, to turn the world upside down to become followers of God. Right? Because some people hear the gospel message every single Sunday. Most messages, I, I, I work the gospel way to every point in the sermon. So it's like three or four times a Sunday. People come all the time. People hear it. They listen to it. They, they're raised in the church. They may hear it a thousand times, but they don't get it. They don't respond. And that one thousand and first time, all of a sudden they hear the message. They respond to the altar call and they give their life over to Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit has now worked in them at the right time when he needed it. To save that person, to realize that I am now convinced, I understand what my sin really means. I understand what I was doing. I understand now at some level what it means and why I need to stop. And Paul lived among the Thessalonians, right, for their benefit is what he tells them. And not just telling them the gospel, but showing it to them. And so the Thessalonian church, their words ends up matching their deeds because that's what Paul was doing. Paul's words match his deeds. And Paul and Timothy didn't waver under persecution, right? We saw them. They got drugged up to the, up to the uh, city hall. And they were in danger of being thrown in jail, which you know, luckily they weren't. This is one of the times they weren't thrown in jail. Um, but they didn't waver. They didn't say, you know what, we're wrong. Never mind. They said, yeah, fine. Put us in jail. Do whatever you want. No big deal. Because Paul had the faith that what he was doing was for God. And so the Thessalonians took that to heart and said, well, if he's doing that, we can do the same thing. So the application point for this is that we need to give people around you or we need to give people around us a good gospel example to copy. And we, so that means we need to give them Jesus. Because really, Jesus is the picture that we are building the puzzle to look like. When we do it wrong, it looks like a Picasso painting. And if you've ever seen it, it's kind of abstract. There's eyes... Weird places, there's arms that don't look right. Because that's his interpretation, it's an, it's an abstract painting. And you can tell what it is, right? People can tell, yeah, you, yeah, you're mostly Christian, I get it. You're a church, you're doing church things, but you don't look right. It's a little bit harder to tell that you're really a likeness of Jesus. Right? And so we want to make sure that we have the right thing portrayed. We have Jesus portrayed here. Right? People see how you handle problems or handle leadership Situations. If you handle them differently than most people, they will hopefully ask you, why is it that you're different? And you should be able to say, because I'm a Christ follower. And that's why I chose the word Christ follower, the phrase Christ follower, because sometimes the word Christian has a little extra baggage to it. And that's not necessarily our problem. It's sometimes the world's issue with what that word means. But at the same time, being a Christ follower is a little more poignant. I am following Christ. This is what I'm doing. I'm trying to go behind and he's my example. Right? I'm not just a Baptist. I'm not just whatever. I'm a Christ follower. I not, I not only believe in God, right? Because Jesus even says that the demons believe in God. But we, we, I also believe God. There's a difference, Right? I believe that Jesus died for my sins and his death justified me before God. I know I am forgiven. I know that I have eternal life waiting for me. Right? My faith is the motor that moves the car. 
right? That's what we are here to believe. That's what we do. That's why I want to say we're a, I'm a Christ follower. Because that's my, what gets me moving, his example, to be like him. And so when we do this, this is what Paul says. This is kind of the key verse for the whole series. Again, verses 7 and 8. It says, as a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you. you know, the NASB says, sounded forth. Which I kind of like that a little better, actually. So it seems a little more, more powerful. Um, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. So all this people, this region has heard of the Thessalonian church. And they say, we should be like them. They're strong in their faith. They did it, right? People from all over knew that the Thessalonians were so strong in their faith. Why were they chosen by God? Again, I said it. They were strategically situated to propel the gospel to the further reaches of, the, of that part of the earth. Right? And it can be the same with Red Oaks. So in a 2015 study, about 900 SBC churches closed. And that, those numbers stay pretty consistent throughout the years, right, the last several years. So every 900 churches a year close. Now, new, church, new churches start up, so by the math, we're still on the growth side. We, we're ha we have more churches starting than we have closing, so that's good news, right? But, but that's what the reality of it is. Sometimes we don't realize that the, the churches are closing. Right? When I got the other church in Lompoc that, you know, by our house, they were down to six people. They asked me to preach for them on this is when we're still doing service at eight. You know, I prayed and prayed and prayed. And God said, for lack of a better term, let it die. It wasn't my job to bring that church back or even try to resuscitate it. He said, let it die. And they went, they, they, they went to a different, they're going somewhere else. So, you know, but that church itself died. But this church, for whatever reason, lives. So we have to realize that. And it's just like us on the personal level. Each of us was dead before we found God. But now, for whatever reason, we're alive. And we're here in this place together to, to go forth, to have the gospel message sound out from us, ring out from us. Right? And so this message of resurrection, it works for the church, but more importantly, again, like I said, it applies to us as believers because each of us as believers, we have been rescued from that death and that wrath that awaits us, or awaits, or awaited us, and it awaits non-believers if they don't come to the gospel. And so we see that these examples show that we've been rescued. And so Paul says in verse 9, he says, For they themselves report, so those other churches that we talked about, they report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So the Thessalonians went against the grain and turned from idols. This is the thing that was very big in the, Gre the Greco -Roman, Roman world. You had a, an idol for anything. If you wanted to have kids, you prayed to the god or the goddess of inf or, or, or fertility. If you wanted to make sure you had a good harvest, you prayed to this god. If you wanted some rain, you prayed to that god. If you wanted a cheese pizza to come and be delivered, you pray to that God. Whatever it is, right? Whatever, they, whatever you needed, they had a God for it, basically. And so they're turning away from this because it was, one, it was big business. So making of the idols and things like that, that was a big business to begin with. Um, but also that was what everybody did. 
Well, they started to worship this Jesus who didn't have a statue. He had, all he had was an empty cross. An empty tomb, an empty cross. And then the Thessalonians went again, again, they went against the grain for the Jewish community. Right? And we see that by, in the account in Acts, we see there must have been enough Jewish people, or they at least had enough sway to start some kind of riot. Right? It wasn't just like five guys who were mad at them. It was a riot. They drug people down through the street. And so now you have these Christians, these the Thessalonian church, stuck in the middle. They're fighting both sides in a sense. They had to, the pagans and the Jewish people were both mad at them, basically. And if you're a business owner, because it said the prominent women in leadership were prominent women, so they probably were some kind of business owner, they're now in danger of their business because these are my customers. So what do I do? Do I just say, yeah, that was a, I tried it, but I didn't like it, so I'm going back to to this God. I'm going back to Mars. It's, yeah, he's better. Yeah, whatever. But they said, no, this is what we're doing. This is, where, this is who I am now. Right? They could have kicked Paul out and said, man, you're messing everything up for us. Get out of here. But they, they stayed with him. They stayed in Jason's house. They welcomed Paul. They protected him. They turned away from idols and turned toward Jesus. Right? And this action, again, could quite possibly kill their livelihood and their businesses. So the question is, why risk everything? Why do they do it, right? Because they were going towards something much better, much stronger. They said, this statue that I pray to every day, he hasn't done anything for me. I have to bring him all this stuff and say the right words in the right format, the magical spell or whatever it is, and it has to be right. I have to pronounce every single word correctly, and it may or may not work. I pray to Jesus, I pray to God, this is what I get. Right? It's something much better. They, they realize these idols bring nothing but death and destruction. But you see, Jesus brings life. He brings life to us. So, because the Father raised the Son, and so when we're made new and we become followers of Christ, we, are too, we also are rescued and we are raised from the dead as well. Right? We have been given new life. And so in the heyday of the Enlightenment back in the you know, mid to late 1600s, Man was shifting from God and theology to science and reason. You know, they said, oh, we, we don't believe in this God stuff anymore. It's all about science, right? We, we know why it rains. We know why these things happen, right? There's germs that make us sick. It's all the demons, this, that, and the other, right? So clearly all this stuff is wrong, so let's get away from it. So the, if you guys have heard the name Blaise Pascal, he was growing up in this era. He was a prodigy of science and intelligence, and he was basically going to be a rock star in the, science, in the fields of science and math. He was a physicist. He, he developed like the first uh, computer, essentially, is what they call it, right? So he developed the theory of probability, which we still have used today. He invented the syringe, the hydraulic lift, which is accredited. And he's also accredited with inventing the wristwatch and even mapping out the first bus route in Paris. Right? It says he, he was embarrassed by his multiple talents, right? He was a scientist, but he also became a man of God. So about age 30 or so, he wrote numerous articles after his conversion. He wrote numerous articles and books about you know, defending Christianity. And so his, his colleagues thought he was crazy, thought he was going against what the Enlightenment stood for. Like, we're supposed to get out of that. Out of that superstition and silliness. And we're going to science. We're smart. Right? Those people are dummies. We're smart. We have everything figured out. Right? But he says, no, he placed Christ above reason. He says, 
when reason asked who needs God, the thinking was man can do everything, including getting themselves to God. Right? But Pascal denounced this idea that reason and science alone can lead a person to God. He said, only by experiencing Christ can people know God. Right? The Thessalonians experienced Christ through Paul. People in this area, this neighborhood, they can experience Christ through us. The people you interact with on a day-to-day basis, hopefully they can experience Christ through him. And then you can teach them things, tell them things, explain certain things of who Christ is and why you're a believer. Right? He risked everything, and he actually only lived to be 39, so you know, he was only a Christian for about nine years or so. But he stood right there in the flood of that mainstream, that change, and he said, this is where I'm at. This is who I am. I'm a Christian. And we do the same thing. We stand there with our friends, our family who may not believe and may not understand why we believe. That maybe, that's the, maybe that's some of the bigger issue. Maybe they don't understand why we believe. Why we come to church every morning, why we were coming when we were coming at eight. You know, why would you do that? I try to convince people it's because it got us out of church and we could watch football all day. I try to sell that. I try to use that as well. Like, hey, if you come, you can come. You have your whole day ahead of you. It's easy. It's better. Uh, but no, I didn't have any takers too many things, right? Um, but here's the application of this part, right? It's uh, don't waste your life. Don't waste your new life on trying to get back to the old. Right? Don't waste your new life on trying to get back to the old life. Don't keep living like you were. Look forward to Christ as your example. Have the endurance to keep going is what Paul says, because that's what impressed Paul about the Thessalonians, right? They kept going. They didn't have a problem. They didn't waver. And it's not because we're going to lose our salvation, right? It's, it's, it's because people are looking to you as their example. It's a monkey see, monkey do attitude. If they, say you're, if they hear you say you're a believer, but they see you doing something different, they're going to put everything you do into question. Right? And you may cause them to not be saved immediately. Now, God is working everything out, so I want to make sure we're clear on that. We're not going to mess somebody up like that, but... And it may be part of the plan. But if we keep our eyes on Christ and we keep Christ-centered, right? That's our whole point. That's been my whole thing for five years. Keep Christ-centered. That's what we need to do. And so the Thessalonians, and the wrapping it up, right? The Thessalonians were one of the first churches established by Paul. They were the trendsetters. And unfortunately, they were probably a little bit hard. It was probably like the first kid like, who was a doctor, who became a doctor. Yeah, well, why can't you be like your brother? He's a doctor. Like, God, I want to be a doctor. So the other churches may have not been happy with the Thessalonians at some point. But Paul was extremely impressed by them. And so we should strive to be a church like Thessalonica. Now they have other issues we're going to get into in a little while. Um, But overall with their reasoning behind what they do, what motivates them, their faith, their love, their hope. That's what we have to do, right? They put their hope and their love and faithfulness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not because of the programs that we'll end up having. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, that's not what makes disciples, right? What makes disciples is a one-on-one contact with people. We tell them about God and who he is and why we believe. It's the example that we set for other people of how they see Christ. And it's by faith and not by our own power, though, but by God's power. So we need to understand that as well. We, we can do a lot of things, but God's bringing people here as, as slow as he needs to or as fast as he needs to. So let's not be discouraged. Let's keep having endurance, right? So our question is, though, are you looking toward Christ for your example? 
And are you showing that example for others to see? Right, so as we sing our last couple of songs, you know, think about that you know, for this week. How, how, are we, how are we setting the example? And also, how can we set the example here in our neighborhood for other people around here? So let's stand and we will sing our last couple of songs.